Lord, we do lift our hearts before you this morning, Lord, and we want to be God seekers, Lord. And as we're going to read this morning in Romans 3, let your word says there is none who seeks God. And in other words, in our own strength, left to our own devices, we don't desire to seek you as you deserve to be sought, Lord. And But Lord, as we bow before you and ask you to stir in our hearts a heart that will seek you and will pursue you, you grant that gift and that strength to seek you and put, give you the right place in our lives. Number one, Lord, above everything else. So we just, uh, again, ask you to work in our hearts. And Lord, as we open your word this morning, may our hearts just be ablaze with desire for your word, for you. And we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and be seated and open our Bibles up to Romans chapter 3. So we're continuing to go through what we're calling the Romans Revolution, uh, asking, challenging each of you to read one chapter of Romans a day, the the chapter that we're going to be studying the next week. So hopefully this last week you read Romans 3 every day, or sometimes maybe you need to catch up, read it two or three times in one day. That's okay too. And the point is, is to become very familiar with, with the contents of each chapter, right? And sometimes what's helpful to me is to kind of take some notes as I'm studying uh, a chapter and maybe kind of outline it, or like in in my Bible here, uh, if I turn to the right book, I'm in Hebrews. Can't wait to get to Hebrews. That's a great book too. But Romans 3, my Bible has a little subtitle for verses 1 through 7 that says God's judgment defended. So sometimes maybe it's just a matter of kind of memorizing those, those subtitles uh, for each, each chapter. And again, being able to kind of maybe walk through uh, the chapter with somebody. Try to, at the end of the week, find someone, hey, can I, can I share with you what I've learned as I've read Romans 3 this week, and just, you'd be amazed how much you do remember as you start sharing with somebody. And then, of course, uh, Scripture meditation is very powerful. Uh, Taking some verses, uh, sections of of Scripture, and and, and trying to uh, recall what does it say. Maybe you're driving to work and you have a, a free half hour. You know, shut the radio off, shut the podcast off. Lord, I'm just going to meditate on what I've been reading. And Lord, would you speak to me? Now that's very powerful. I do that a lot just in, in my trying to teach and prepare for teaching. I just, you know, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and I, oh, I can tell I'm not going to go back to sleep for a while. I'm just going to meditate on the word and just kind of uh, run over those passages in my mind. So Romans Revolution, and we we really believe that if you can get a good grasp of of this book of Romans, it it literally can revolutionize your life. It will 
God deals with some of the the very core issues that we all battle with, uh, sin, right? How do we overcome sin? How do we exercise faith in Christ? How do we have victory over sin? So just in review of the first couple chapters, Paul is laying out the case that everyone is a sinner. And of course, isn't that a huge problem for mankind that many just either deny their sin or they rationalize their sin, which we all do to some degree or another, right? But Paul is laying out in chapter one really the kind of person who just really denies the law of God. And then chapter two talks about those who accept the law of God but really kind of rationalize their sin through religion. But the first chapter, yeah, those who say, well, I don't really believe in God. I just kind of follow my heart and my mind, how I want to live my life. And Paul says, well, no, you're accountable uh, to God, even though you can't see him with your eyes, right? You can't touch him. But God has certainly made himself uh, known through creation. So everybody's accountable. Everybody knows there are God. there's a God just by looking at creation. So you can't use that in, as an excuse. But what about those religious people who haven't surrendered to Jesus Christ? And they say, well, you know, I'm okay by following my religious practices, and I'm a good person. Maybe you're not even religious, but you're kind of a moralist. You say, well, hey, I'm, I'm better than most people, and I think my good deeds out, outweigh my bad deeds. And yeah, I believe in God, but um, I don't really believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah or or any of that. So Paul really lays out a case for those people to think about, okay, you're you're trusting in your own performance. You're trusting in a religion. You're trusting in certain rituals. But really, God's looking at your heart, so you can't trust in those things. And he really ends chapter 2 talking about uh, circumcision, somebody who's perhaps trusting in the ritual of circumcision. Hey, I big deal. I went out and got circumcised. That's kind of a big deal. Or I'm, I follow the kosher laws, or I follow the feast days. I go to church every week. And Paul's saying, God's looking for those who are circumcised in the heart, not just physically. So you can't trust in religion. So those pagan type of people from chapter one, they're guilty. The Jews or the religious person just trusting in their own performance, they're even more guilty because they have God's law and they should know better. And so then you get into chapter three that we're going to cover today. And we do move pretty quickly. We're not doing an in-depth, you know, verse-by-verse study, really. The idea is just to get a, a good grasp of, the, uh, of an overview of it. So we are going to move pretty quickly. But he starts out in uh, verses 1 through 2, what I'm titling uh, the Jews' advantage, the Word of God. Verses 1 and 2. Let's read that, Romans 3. What advantage, then, has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. So, as Paul is making his case 
for the sinful condition of mankind and their need for a savior, he kind of jumps back and forth between uh, looking at the Gentile world, looking at the Jewish world, and and in their day, that would kind of represent you know those who um, really didn't care about the things of God, the Gentile or the Jew who has the the word of God, <clears throat> the religious person. So for our day, it would be kind of the the secular person who doesn't really care about the things of God versus uh, a Jewish or a uh, religious person. But both types of people have their excuses and and their deceptions about how to approach God, and that's what Paul's trying to address, both of these types of people. So he'll make an argument like he was in chapter 2 that you can't, as a Jew, you can't really just trust in circumcision. Don't think that that's going to save you. Don't think that the religious rules you're following are going to save you. The law of God was given to show you that you're a sinner, not, not to justify you. That's what he's going to drive to. We're going to see at, toward the end of this chapter, we'll call, Paul really finishes up this section about talking about sin, that the law was intended to reveal to yourself that you're a sinner and that that would drive you toward Christ. So Paul's making this argument and saying, you know, you can't, as a Jew, don't trust in these things. But then, you know, then some people would, would, come to the conclusion, oh, I guess, well, Judaism is useless then because uh, it can't save you. And, and Paul, so then Paul has to kind of bring you back and say, well, that's not really what I'm saying. Don't jump to that conclusion. And Paul will do that often. He'll be making an argument and, and then like you'll be talking about grace and say, well, you know, grace covers sin. And then somebody would say, oh, so that means I can just send it up. And Paul says, no, let me, let me bring you back. That's not what I meant. So he's always uh, kind of uh, bringing up potential questions that his audience could be asking. And, and sometimes it can be hard to, to follow him. In fact, this section here of Romans 3, I was reading uh, Matthew Henry was saying even for him, this, this section is kind of difficult because it almost seems like Paul you know, is talking about something, then he jumps to another subject. But really, if you, you dig into it, you can see, no, there, there's, a, there's a method behind what he's saying here. You just got to pay attention closely. So what he's saying here... He's anticipating the question uh, that someone say, oh, well, then it doesn't even matter. The Jews aren't any better than anybody else. And Paul's saying, well, really, let's think about this. What advantage does have the Jew or what is the profit of circumcision? And he's saying, no, much in every way. There's a great advantage to being a Jew. And he says, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. In other words, they were given the word of God. They were given the prophets and, and, and the law. And they were though they were entrusted with passing those on to the next generation. So that was a tremendous privilege. It was a tremendous privilege to be a Jew. The problem is those who didn't understand the true message of, of God's word. So Paul's just trying to correct that way of thinking. No, there is an advantage to be a to being a Jew. And then verses three and four, Paul's talking about the Jews' unbelief. So verse 3, For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and that you may overcome when you are judged. 
So now Paul's talking about the the um, excuse a person might make looking at the Jews and saying, well, you know what? The Jews may have been given the word of God and, and they have this great privilege, but look at how unfaithful the Jews have been. Look at how they have failed God. And I think this can be a excuse that maybe a Gentile would use as they're looking at the Jews. And Paul talked about that in the last chapter. He says, because of you, the Gentiles blaspheme the, the name of God. It'd be kind of like someone in our day saying, oh, all you Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites, so why should I believe on God? Because, you know, I, and, and maybe they truly have seen hypocrisy in Christianity in their experience, but then they use that as an excuse for them not to believe. You ever encountered someone like that? And basically Paul's saying, well, so what? If, er, if every man's an un, a liar, if every man is an unbeliever, how does that help you? You're still going to have to stand and be judged by God. So I can't look at somebody else and rationalize my sin and say, well, you're, you're a hypocrite, so uh, you know, Christianity must not be true. No, Paul's saying, uh, let God be true and every man a liar. Let every man be a hypocrite. But God's still true. Jesus Christ is still true. The, the word of God is still true. So don't use that as an excuse. And then um, verses, <clears throat> excuse me, let's read verses 5 through 8. And this is now where this message of grace that Paul is teaching had been slandered. So verses 5 through 8. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust to inflict wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not, for then how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as sinner? And why not say, let us do evil, that good may come, as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. So, the problem Paul ran into as he would teach grace, and remember, this, this message was really new, right, in the first century. So the Jews struggled with it. Some, you know, the Gentiles could struggle with it, misunderstand it. And so Paul is now addressing another possible excuse that people would make for their sin because we're really good at making excuses as fallen humans, right? Right from the beginning, Adam and Eve did it, right? The, Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the snake. And so there's, we're, we're always looking for a way to rationalize our sin rather than it, confess it and repent of it and ask for forgiveness and ask God to help us change. But here, uh, what Paul is talking about, where he had been slandered as he was going around teaching grace, and he would say, well, like in, we're going to get to Romans 5. He'd say, where grace, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And he goes really into great detail about that in chapter 5 of Romans. And he says, you know, if, look at Adam's sin and the devastation of this one man's sin, how it's now affected all of mankind. And we all now have, we've inherited sin natures, right? He says, that's, that's a terrible thing, but Let's look at the, the act and the work of the one man, Jesus Christ, how because of his obedience and his death on the cross, 
we are now recipients of, of grace. So yeah, we were recipients of Adam's sinful nature, but now we're recipients of Jesus Christ's grace and forgiveness. And that's actually greater than the power of Adam's sin. And then Paul ends that section saying, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So then somebody could hear that and say, oh yeah, well, Paul said, uh, I heard him the other day, he said, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So we can just sin it up and there'll be, I could sin as much as I want and grace will always be there to cover it. And then Paul would have to say, no, no, that's not what I meant. You know, and, and then he goes into chapter six. He says, uh, he answers that question, you know, shall we continue in sin that grace may, may abound? So he addresses that. But there was a, a teaching that Paul gave about how our sin, when contrasted with the holiness of God, in a sense, actually glorifies God's grace. It's almost kind of like, you know, you have that diamond on a, on a black background and it brings out all the, the glory of that diamond even more. Well, when you put us, our sin against the glory of God, or you put his grace and our, however you look at it, you know, the, his grace against the, the black background of our sin, it magnifies his holiness and his grace, right? So if Adam had never sinned, he would have never really experienced the grace and mercy of God, right? And so in Ephesians, which we you know just finished uh, in the church here, finished studying that a few months ago, um, Paul talks about the glory of his grace. <clears throat> and so the grace that God exercises towards sinners actually does even <clears throat> enhance his glory. And we, and we get to know him in a greater way, but then you don't jump to the conclusion and say, Oh, well, because my, my sin glorifies God and him forgiving my sin and showing grace toward me towards me glorifies God. Then I guess I could just sin more, you know, purposely and willfully sin because God will be more glorified. And Paul saying, that's ridiculous to think that way. That's not what I'm teaching. But people, again, would slanderously report that that's what he taught. They're, they're against Paul. They're trying to um, discredit Paul. And they'd, and they'd walk around and say, oh, yeah, Paul just teaches. You can sin all you want, and you know Jesus will forgive you. Isn't that ridiculous? And Paul saying, look, if you're saying that, your condemnation is just. Now, that's a strong statement. For Paul to make, but he's saying that's a very serious accusation you're making against me. And by the way, you know it's not true. You know that's not what I teach. But you're saying that to discredit me, to discredit the gospel. Paul's given a very strong warning. I would, I would really uh, recommend you don't do that. Your condemnation will be strong and just. And so that's that's what Paul is really doing in this section. He's just dealing with um, that kind of of uh, strange thinking that perhaps. Uh, either a Jew or a Gentile might have when discussing the grace of God. And then verses um, <clears throat> 9 through 20, my Bible has it uh, titled as All Have Sinned. So Paul now is really ending his argument, just pressing home very strongly and, and coming to this conclusion of, hey, everybody is sin, Jew, Gentile, secular person, religious person, 
Nobody can make an excuse before God. We're all in the same boat. Nobody's better than anybody else. You know, the Jews may have been more privileged because they were given the word of God, but that doesn't mean they're better. We're all sinners. We're in deep, deep trouble, and we need a Savior. That's where Paul's trying to move us all, right? Because if you, if you don't realize you're a sinner, you're not going to ask for a Savior. If you don't realize sin is the problem in your life, and, and so for unbelievers, that's how we want to minister to them. We want to uh, get them to a place where they understand they're sinners. Some people already understand that, and you, know, you don't have to necessarily minister to them in that way. But, but let's go ahead and read this, uh, verses 9 through 20. What then, are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So, Paul, back at verse 9, saying, are we better than they? I believe he's talking about the Jews now. Uh, as a Jew, and the privileges you've been giving, or you're, say, a religious person, and you're, you're trusting in that religion, instead, not in Christ, are you better than other people? And Paul's trying to knock that deception out from under you, say, no, you're not better. We're all on the same level. We're sinners. We need a Savior. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greek that all are under sin. So that's what Paul's been teaching the last few chapters. It's a charge he's bringing against mankind. We're all under the power of sin. And then he quotes an Old Testament uh, passage to uh, really drive this home, that this isn't something Paul's just making up. He's pulling it out of the Old Testament, which is actually uh, from this psalm. It's from God's perspective speaking uh, concerning man. This is God's opinion of man. It says, there is none righteous, no, not even one. I mean, he just keeps nailing this same point over and over there is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. Now, this may seem you know, like a heavy kind of negative message, but you know, it's actually really good news. When you understand that your problem as a human being is sin, then that means you can tap into the grace and the forgiveness of Christ and the righteousness of Christ. And so that's the good news part. God's got a remedy to this. He's got a solution, but you just have to admit you're a sinner. You have to prepare your heart. You know, it's kind of like when John the Baptist came and he was 
preparing the way for Christ. You know, the Old Testament predicted that there would be a forerunner to Christ. And what was the message of John the Baptist? It was, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Prepare, in other words, prepare your heart for the coming of Christ. And how did you prepare your heart? Well, you went and got baptized. And, and through that baptism, you're acknowledging you're a sinner. You need to repent from your sin. Now you're prepared for the Savior. I'm, I'm a sinner. I need help, God. And now here John says, look, the Lamb of God's coming here. Go follow him. So your heart's already prepared. Jesus shows up. Wow, I'm going to follow him and trust in him. That's how salvation works. But if you're self-righteous, you think, oh, I'm okay. I'm not that bad of a person or I'm trusting in my religion. You're not ready. Your, your heart isn't prepared. So there's none righteous, not one. There's no exception to this. None who understands. So people who think they, they can figure God out through their own understanding, as Scripture says, you know, the, the, the natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit. There's none who seeks after God. See, we're so rebellious, we're so sinful that our hearts really don't seek God in the way that we should. There are people who, you know, may say I'm seeking truth, but but really they're they're not. They're they're just seeking their will to fulfill themselves, not concerned with with God's will, seeking God, seeking his will. They have all turned aside. They've become unprofitable. From God's perspective, you're unprofitable. You're, you're not loving me. You're not serving. I created you to worship me. I created you to love me, to obey me, to know me. It's a quite a privilege. I created you in my image, God says. But you've gone your own way. You've turned from me, and you're unprofitable to me. This is God's perspective. But think, those of us who have turned to him and ha are living for him, he views us as profitable. He views us as a delight. He loves us. And so it goes on. There's none who does good. Just in case we're not clear, he's going to keep he's going to keep repeating it. There's none who does good. No, not one. And then he it gets worse here, guys. It gives a really description of of how we as sinners uh, uh, how God looks on us, uh, our speech, how we talk about other people. Our throat, it's an open tomb. That's pretty gnarly. Wow. That's bad. They're, with their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. And we might think, well, I, you know, I don't cuss anymore. You know, I was delivered from that. Yeah, but do you kind of just go through the day complaining and, and uh, kind of bitter about hard times you're going through? See, we can, we can be like that. That's displeasing to God. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Wow. The Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, right? If you don't fear God, which is a huge problem in our nation, right? You don't, you're not worried about God's opinion. <clears throat> You're really a fool because um, that's all that matters is what God thinks, right? And so 
we are to fear God. But the, again, something about the sinful state of man, how sin blinds us and we don't even fear God. We don't even recognize his value and his will. And then verse 19, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped. This is where Paul's leading now. He's saying, if I can really get through to you here, you will have nothing to say before God to defend yourself anymore. No more excuses. You just fall at the feet of Christ and say, I need help. That's where God's trying to bring us. Just be quiet. Every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. This is the purpose of God's law. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So don't think that by, by you following rules and regulations uh, or a religion that you're going to be right with God. All the law is to do is to highlight that you are a sinner, right? It's, it's kind of like, um, you know, you know, it's a lot of different examples is, is, you know, it's kind of like a mirror. I look in the mirror and I can see the dirt on my body. The mirror can't clean me up, right? It can just reflect the truth of how I am. And that's, that's the law of God. It, it was never intended to clean you up. It was intended to just show you how sinful you are as you read the laws and you say, oh, I don't do that. I fail there. I fail there. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. I need help. Um, or it can be, um, you know, just that, yeah, that reflection of who we truly are. So by, uh, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified. In sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, this last uh, or this next section, verses 21 through 26, talks about uh now the righteousness that God gives us through faith. So we can't be justified. We can't be right with God by just following the law. But now here, here's where the good news kicks in. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. So now he, this, this turning point, Paul's saying, you can't be justified in yourself. You're, you're too sinful. You're too far from God. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. Thank God, right? Wow. If a law is being held over me and saying, you know, Rick, live up to this and you'll be fine, I'd be dead. And, but I thank God. He's, this is why it's called the gospel. The, this is good news. The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. So the righteousness of God is revealed to us. And it was, it's witnessed by the law and the prophets. In other words, this was written of in the Old Testament. Paul says, I'm not making this up. Study the Old Testament. You'll see it. And now he tells us what this righteousness is that's come to us from God apart from following the law. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. There it is. It's that simple. Faith in Jesus Christ, because Christ is a great Savior. I always love to say it's a simple faith in a great Savior. And so, so there it is. You know, you can point to that and say, Lord, there it is, right in black and white. You've promised 
that I can be righteous before you if I just trust in Jesus Christ. And if you've never done that, I'd encourage you in, right in your heart right now, say, Lord, save me. Jesus, I'm looking to you. And then he's going to um, he's going to go on and give us more detail about, well, well, how does that forgiveness come through Jesus Christ? But notice he says this righteousness comes to us. It's, it comes to all and on all who believe. Now, that's important. Think about that. He could have just stopped and said, the righteousness of God comes to you if you believe. But he says, no, it comes to you and it comes on you. So I, what I believe that means is the moment you trust in Jesus in heaven, God slams down his gavel and says, you know, like a judge, not guilty. You're forgiven at that moment. And that's good news, isn't it? In, in God's sight, he now looks at you as perfect be, just because you're trusting in his son. And he's going to tell you why that is in a minute, why, that's, why his son is so powerful and why his son is such, such a savior. But he's saying, I, I consider you not guilty in the court of God's law. I will not judge you. You will not have to face condemnation like those who are outside of Christ. But he says, so that's to you, but it's also on you. So in, now we're Christians, we've, a, we've asked Jesus into our life, but now how do we live? Well, we live by the righteousness of God that's upon us, that free gift that we now learn to walk in, and that's super good news too. It's not like God just saying, look, I've forgiven you now for all your past. Now, just out of gratitude, you should start living a holy life, right? And now get to work, get, get busy, get at it. I don't want to see any more sin, you know. You've had, this is your second chance. And we're like, okay, I'll do my best, God. And, and then, you know, you start failing and, oh, God must be mad at me. See, that's not the Christian life. The Christian life, God says, look, I've forgiven your past. You're not guilty. And now I'm going to teach you how to live righteously because sin is destroying you. You know, it's not like God is like, doesn't want us to have any fun. That's why he doesn't want us to sin. He knows Sin is, it, it twists us, it destroys us, it destroys relationships, it, 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 it limits us. And so God wants to free us from sin and teach us how to walk in righteousness. So the more I learn to just let his righteousness be upon me, the more I'll learn to uh, walk in his righteousness, which uh, much of the rest of Romans is about that, teaching Christians you know, how to walk in the righteousness of God. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So there it is again. No exceptions. There's no difference between Jew or Gentile. There's nobody better than anybody else. We're all at the same level. You've all sinned. And look at that, fall short of the glory of God. So you, you might say, hey, I'm a pretty good person. I, you know do better than a lot of people. Oh, really? Do you live up to the glory of God? Are you that good? Are you a glorious person? Are you, you know, like Jesus? Remember at the, the Mount of Transfiguration? He, his face shined like the sun. I mean, that's the glory of God. That's who Jesus Christ is. Are you that good? Because that's the standard. Oh, well, no, no, I've never done that. Well, then you fall short. I'm sorry. You need help. You need a savior. That's the standard, the glory of God. Yes, I've fallen short of the glory of God. And I continue to. That's why I cling to my savior. Now, 
he's now going to get into verse 24, giving us more understanding about how salvation works. I mean, think about this. God can do anything, right? So why didn't he just proclaim over, you know, through some prophet and just say, I, I declare you all forgiven. I just wave my hand. I'm God. I can do anything. So everybody's, I'm just tired of this whole sin thing. And I, I just, I'm just going to overlook it for now on. Well, God, you know, God can't do everything. There are things he's limited by and he can't, he could not do that. That would be in violation to who he is. God is love, but God is also a God of justice. And that's very important to him that no one violates his law of love. And so he now is going to give us information and understanding about, well, how does this forgiveness work? How does this righteousness come to us? Couldn't God just say, oh, be, I declare you all righteous. You're righteous. And just by the wave of my hand, why would he have to go to a cross and go through all that, that agony if he's God? Well, it tells us here, it says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, not a word you hear much, a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness and that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Paul loves long sentences, doesn't he? Wow. That's a mouthful. That's deep stuff. But, but, you know, basically what he is saying here is, no, God could not just wave his hand and say, I declare you all forgiven because I love you. Because God loves everybody, right? He loves the sinner. He loves everybody. But it's saying, no, there had to be a sacrifice. There had to be, justice had to be met. You know, they say the the, the cross is so beautiful to, to meditate on because that's where mercy and justice meet it's amazing it's amazing the god's love for us is declared but his hatred for sin and how sin destroys people you know what is sin it's rebelling against god's perfect love god's will you know god has a will and it's perfect and it's good for everybody and then we say nah i'll just do my own thing and god's like what I had this perfect plan for you. It's, it was glorious. It was all, all my love. And you just spit on it. And his justice says, uh, that's wrong. I mean, that's really wrong. And, and that you, so you get kind of a, the heart of God, you know, it's like you're, you know, a, a, a criminal who just has no concern for human life, you know, and, and, and kills people. And then can he just walk away from that? No, there has to be justice. You know, life is valuable. What God has created is is of great value. And when we kind of spit on it and ignore his will and his love, that's it's a sin. It's it's injustice. It's wrong. Justice needs to be paid for sin. And so God's got a problem, right? He's perfectly just, but he loves us. So how does he deal with this? Well, in his wisdom, 
you know, the wisdom of God, he says, my perfect son can take the payment for your sin. I will pour my judgment upon my perfect son who deserves no judgment, but because I love you, I'm going to provide this. Uh, that word propitiation, it just means it's, it's, a it's a sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they had the temple. Remember the presence of God in the Holy of Holies that nobody could go into that room or you would die. He, you know, a sinner cannot go in to the holy presence of God, right? It's like Bible says it's a fearful thing to, to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, God is like a consuming fire and to go in in your sinful state, you would be consumed by his holiness. So once a year, the priest could go into the the Holy of Holies, but he had to go in with blood and he better do it God's way. You know, and again, it's not like God's mad at us. He hates us. He loves us, but he says, you know, I'm holy. You can only approach me if your sin is dealt with. And I provided a way for your sin to be dealt with. You just need to accept it and receive it. And for the, for the Jews, it was this, the, the temple or the tabernacle and going in the presence of God, all this pointed to the sacrifice of Christ, but it helps us understand what the cross was all about. So they'd have this, what they called a mercy seat. It was like the covering of the Ark of the Covenant that was in the Holy of Holies. And the priest would go in there and he would take the blood of this lamb and, and, uh, and sprinkle, you know, the, the mercy seat. And then, you know, God accepts, uh, accepts us because of that blood. And, you know, the, the beauty is we can fellowship with God now. See, the enemy tries to lie to us. He tries to keep us at a distance. But, guys, we have the blood of Jesus Christ. We can go into the very presence of God and have fellowship with him and be at peace with him. And it's our Savior that paid that price. He suffered on the cross. He took my sin upon himself. So I can go into the holy presence of God now. You know, and I don't have to wait. I don't have to work up to it. Oh, if I just got my devotional life right, if I just got my act together, I could go into the presence of God. God says, no, you come in with blood. You believe that the blood of my son has cleansed you and you're covered. That's a sacrifice that I have accepted. See, it's the redemption that's in Christ Jesus that God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith. See, it's not automatic. You have to exercise faith in it. You have to believe it. You have to accept it. Faith is just saying, God, I see what you've done. I see it. I read it. I believe it, and I enter into it right now. I'm not going to believe the lies that are coming at me, right? There are lies. There are great opposition to this message of the devil, of our own flesh, of the world. Man, if you're not determined, if you're not pressing in to, to touch Jesus, and you're kind of casual about it, you're, you're going to be defeated. But when we read things like this and say, I have access to the presence of Almighty God through the blood of his son, just through faith, just exercising faith, that's good news. I don't know, it just hits me sometimes. You know, I don't know. I see it in a, in a deeper way, and it, and it just, I, I'm not crying because I'm sad. I'm, it's joy. It's, it's God's mercy to cover my sin. And it says he demonstrated his righteousness because of his forbearance. See, God, again, 
if he had just said, I wave my hand, I, you know, I'm not going to send my son to suffer. I love my son. I'm just going to wave my hand and you're all forgiven. That wouldn't be righteous. That wouldn't be just. My sin really wouldn't be paid for. I mean, what if God changed his mind later and says, you know what? I am going to judge you all for that because that, I changed my mind. Now we don't have to worry about that. I mean, like, no, my sins were paid for on the cross 2,000 years ago. I believe that by faith it's written in God's testimony, his covenant with me. I'm standing on this, and I'm experiencing this. I mean, this is not just like theory, right? I mean, we are, are experiencing the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in our life, the favor of God, the love of God. And, it, and he talks about that later in uh, Romans 5, how the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's what I'm experiencing right now. Because of the blood of Jesus, not because I'm a pastor or because, you know, Rick has been so holy for all these years and he's, he's gotten to this place with God. That's what I used to think when I was a young Christian, like, oh, I can't wait to be like that old saint, you know, after maybe 30, 40 years of walking with God, I'll be close with God, you know, and that's like, no, that's not true. You know, you can be close with God today, now, through the blood of Jesus, but if you're thinking religiously, you know, oh, yeah, if I just can reach this level of performance. No, enter in now, be filled with this spirit. That will change you. That will make you sin less. That will change your heart. That'll, your heart will love God, will want to seek him in his word. All these things we talked about, how we don't do, we don't understand God, we don't seek God. We, he changes our heart. He gives us a new heart. But it's all because of his blood, and he demonstrated that. In other words, He demonstrated his righteousness because in his forbearance, God passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So God is justified in forgiving you. In his mind, he's totally at peace with that. His justice has been satisfied. He's never going to change his mind, and nobody can accuse you and say, yeah, well, that's ridiculous. Your your sins are forgiven because of, of Jesus. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that's the that's called the new covenant. That's the New Testament. That's what I'm depending on, and that's what I'm living for, and that's what I'm experiencing. And then let's finish up verses uh, 24 through, get my notes back here, 27 through uh, 31. Boasting excluded. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. So Paul's saying you, nobody's got anything to boast about with this. You can't say, well, it was after I, you know, again, I achieved all these spiritual disciplines and I followed the law of Moses and I, you know, never ate food that was... um not allowed to you know be eaten in the scripture whatever you know i was circumcised he says no you can't boast in anything it's excluded nobody can boast because it's all grace is it a law that we're following is it works that we're performing no it's the law of faith i love that because we might think well faith you know it seems like such a a thing i can't it's kind of like a puff of smoke i can't really grasp it what is faith what and paul saying no faith is a law it's like, the, you know, you got the law of gravity, you got 
it, it is a fixed, powerful thing. And when you believe in Jesus, that's a big deal to God. And when you continue to walk in faith, that's a big deal to God. And that what's so exciting about that is I can do faith all day, every day. It doesn't take any effort. It's not a work. If you tell me I got to do these things to be close to God, I can, if I just believe in the righteous shall live by faith. And that, in the next chapter, Paul's going to talk about you know faith, the faith of Abraham. He's going to spend basically the whole chapter because faith is super important that we understand this law of faith. He says, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith, keeps hammering at home, by faith, apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do then we make void the law through faith? Cer certainly not, on contrary, we establish the law. So we talked about earlier, okay, these questions that arise as he's teaching, someone's saying, Oh, so you're saying we're not justified by the law, so we just throw the law out. The law is not important. Paul said the law is not important. We don't even have to. Paul says, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. Come, come on back. You know, let, listen to me. Uh, do we make void the law? No. We actually establish the law. Or Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. So the law is not bad. It just can't save you. Again, it's a mirror isn't a bad thing. It just can't clean you, right? It's a, it serves its purpose. The law serves its purpose in showing us that we're sinners and driving us to Jesus. And, and also the law, you know, it shows God's heart, God's perfection, God's will. And then God begins to change our hearts so that we actually fulfill the law in our behavior, in our life. We be, you know, we become more holy the, the more we learn to walk with the Lord. But again, Paul, you know, Paul's dealing with these arguments between the Jews and the Gentiles and, and the thinking of those of the different camps, uh, the religious, the non-religious. And Paul's saying um, it, everyone has to come the same way. Everybody, whether you're circumcised, uncircumcised, religious, non-religious, you all have to come by faith. So we're going to we're going to end it there. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the the blood of Jesus Christ, we thank you that it is a full and effective forgiveness for each one of us as we trust in Jesus, put our faith in Jesus, admit we're sinners. And Lord, if there's any this morning that are still aren't sure about their relationship with you, that you would just open their eyes to just simply put their trust in you. And, and enjoy the fellowship with you through the blood of Jesus Christ. And Lord, those of us who have been walking with you, we'd be reminded of the free access we have to the presence of God through the blood of Jesus. And we thank you and we trust you to uh, just continue, Lord, to uh, remind us of these powerful truths. And Lord, help us to get to know this book and these truths and walk in them and see uh, more and more power over sin as we learn to walk in faith with our Savior. So, Lord, we just uh, commit all these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.